0: everyone uh welcome to the three questions i'm very lucky today a that i got my computer shit worked out because we just sat here for 10 minutes trying to figure out why i couldn't hear anyone um but i'm very excited because i get to talk to one of i think the most important artists in music today if i can be so expansive uh jason isbel how are you
2: i'm good andy thank you very much that was sure so- that was quite the compliment. I'm happy to be here talking with you.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I I love your music. I love. I mean, I love country music anyway, and especially, although I am a snob about like you know, like now, country music. And I everybody, you know, so many people say it, but like so much country music now to me is just like Bon Jovi. Somebody singing with an accent, you know, with like yeah. a you yeah. know a cornpone accent to yeah. Bon Jovi stuff, and I can't hear any more songs about driving my truck down to the river
2: with my girl <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> yeah they you know they they hit the button they found a button and they just kept hitting it yeah uh, over yeah. and over and over and and yeah they won't stop to try they won't even stop to try a different button there might even be more money that comes out if you hit a different button they I know don't. I
0: know well but I mean I mean that's big business and you know yeah. I mean it's like try and get something made a movie made that doesn't have a superhero in it and mm-hmm, you know and mm-hmm. they'll laugh at you but was that I mean, we'll we'll get more into it. But was that daunting to you growing up in the South and wanting to be a musician and just being dissatisfied with the state of country music? I mean, it's only been going on since the 70s like that. I mean,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I never really thought about it, you know, um because I never really considered what genre I belonged to. So, uh-huh. you know, I know a lot of kids grow up dreaming of being a, a country singer, but that wasn't really the thing for me. I, I just wanted to play and sing. And so I went after any opportunity that uh, I had to, to play or to get better instruments or to get with a better band or to figure out how to write better songs. You know, I was I was lucky enough that that's what uh, i went for and that's what made me happy um you know so there's very little frustration when that's your goal yeah you know i, I figured everybody would catch up at some point you <laughs> know just keep on <laughs> keep on doing my thing yeah. you know and it's, it's still that way like i still right before i got on this call with you i was just sitting in the floor playing the guitar because that's that's what i've always done when i don't have something else i have to be doing
0: right and you got plenty of time for it now yeah i do and, I and I do. quarantine. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah now you're from you're from Alabama correct i mean I am, born, yeah. yeah north alabama and uh you're you have do you have one other sibling i, I know you have some step siblings
2: yeah i've got well i've got a half sister and a half brother so okay. uh, my parents split up when i was 12 and uh, they both got remarried and had kids but, but my my half sister is uh, um 20 and my half brother is 24
0: yeah so you're almost you're like an uncle more than a big brother.
2: Very much so. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. out of the house pretty much when they when they were uh, you know born and growing up and stuff. So yeah,
0: I have cousins that have uh, cousins on their other side where one where they had they had an uncle on the other side that was younger than them, like a oh, literal yeah. uncle, you know. And so it just you know that's what happens when old people have kids. It's true, you know? and it's it's also
2: like it's you know it, my parents sort of did. Did everything twice because when I was born, they were super young. My mom was uh, 17. My dad was 19 when I was born. Can you even imagine? No, no, no. Can you even yeah.
0: ima- I think about that and I just can't even imagine it.
2: Yeah. It took me, uh, it took me 35 years to figure out how to wipe my own ass properly, <laughs> much less somebody else's.
0: Yeah. I mean, I had, when I had my first kid, I was Thirty-four, yeah, and Mm -hmm. I mean, and even then, I was scared shitless. Until you got this baby in your arm, it's not real, and you all of a sudden, it's like, oh shit, I got to, I (laughs) got to take care of
2: this thing. Yeah, it's up to the time, and that's it. And if we drop the ball, the ball is dropped. There's no safety net for it. Um, Yeah, and also, it's like I know a lot of people who are real fucked up. You know, so looking at this baby, I'm like, it is possible to fuck this up. Like, yeah. this oh, is not real bad. You yeah. know, and you're not guaranteed you're gonna pull this off. Like, yeah, you could, you could ruin this person's life, and you
0: got to know <laughs> the difference between not wanting to commit the same mistakes that were done to you and not and, and then uh, while also avoiding the new ones that you yes. are going to do to them through your own selfishness or neuroses or whatever it's it's yeah uh, it's scary stuff but it's the best work on earth i know
2: It is. It's been, you know, everybody has to show their hand in a lot of ways. Um, Yeah. You know, like the parents have to show their hand to each other and and the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles and everybody in this kid's life, you know, all of a sudden uh, we were all just kind of sitting back and letting each other be for the most part. And and now shit gets serious and like, you know, who you really are, you have to put it on the table because... If you're doing a good job as a parent, you're going to you're going to want the right influences around your kid. That's right. right? But yeah, it's it's been great. It's been great.
0: When you were little, did you happen like did your parents youth like were there times when you were a kid when you could kind of feel like these were young, like they wanted, you know, they still had some young people stuff to get out of their system when you were little or
2: yeah definitely yeah you know it was i mean there were challenges for me and for them um and and there were a lot of positives too i mean there, there were times when like after my parents split up you know um i felt like for a long time, I felt like my mom was, was doing a lot of things to try to sort of get back the time that she lost when I was a little kid. And, yeah. uh, you know, I was resentful of that um, for for quite a while. You know, we've, we've dealt with those things now and moved on. And, and yeah. I understand more of what she was doing and what she was dealing with at that point in time. But, um, yeah, there was a lot of that, you know. There were times when I had wished for uh, parents who were more mature. But I'll tell you— At this point in my life, knowing as many people as I know who have older parents who are from somewhere like Alabama and are white people, um, I am very, very glad my parents are the age that they are because I think that's one of the reasons why I don't have to sit at the dinner table and argue with them over uh, over our our essential beliefs that people like to call politics because, you know, my parents aren't – they're not crazy right-wing Boomers, and yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm so fucking glad. Man, yeah, I'll take yeah. every every time my mom was late picking me up from school. Every guy she dated that I didn't care for, I will take that all day, uh, as opposed to having just old angry, you know, QAnon boomer parents like some of my buddies have. Right yeah, <laughs> and
0: this this yeah this is the time too. Like it mm-hmm. was like it was always, you know, the the cliche joke was political arguments at the dinner table, but man, it's been turned up to like. It's like a comic book now. It it's is. like professional it's wrestling now. You know, it's, it's heavy. It is, it is a blessing to not have to worry about that, to not have to fight about that shit.
2: Very, very lucky. Like I even – I've called my parents on numerous occasions just to say thank you for not being – Like so and so's dad, you know, people I'll be working with in the studio or something, and they'll come in, and I can tell something's wrong with them, and they're just grieving the relationship that they used to have with their parents or with their siblings, yeah. Because it's it's, you know, it's sort of come down to the to the real nitty gritty of it now. You can't just pretend uh, that it's not a big deal anymore, and Mm -hmm. and there are reasons people on both sides have reasons to be vocal about. Uh, how they believe now. I'm not. I'm not saying there are good people on both sides. I'm saying everybody is is broadcasting their beliefs right now, and um, yeah, it kind of has to be that way because we're in one of those little little growth spurts. Hopefully, you know. Yeah, I I hope
0: so too. And I mean, and I hope it changes something because like what happened on January 6th did it changed the things for everybody? Because I think even within you know the propaganda machine of of the Republican Party. You know, they say they've been saying shit like Joe Biden's dangerous, radical socialist agenda, which is like,
2: yeah. wait, that's
0: Joe Biden you're talking about. Yeah, Take right, it easy, right? Exactly. So there's there's that level of bullshit that you just get used to, and you know, and then Trump was such a liar, but he kind of got used to that. But then when it came down to the real thing. Of attacking the Capitol. And even then, I'm programmed with the white think. Mm -hmm. And when I saw them, I thought, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, Troy and Loretta, get back in the fucking SUV and Mm -hmm. drive back home without realizing until I find out later. No, no. They had fucking plans. They were going to overthrow the government and they broke it. They had this like great, like I say again professional wrestling thing going on and they could have dealt in hyperbole and half facts and they broke it by, yeah. you know, they
2: went beyond the pale but you know I, I think it's interesting when I saw a couple days after the, the siege of the Capitol that you know the FBI was trying to decide whether or not it had been planned I thought wow yeah. how bad can you fuck up a plan if it's two days later and they still don't know if you had any plan at all <laughs> That's a bad fucking plan.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, and also, uh, while you're doing it, you got eight thousand people live. Streaming oh yeah, now taking pictures, yeah.
2: selfies. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, it was a a bumblefuck of an effort, but it was still yeah. uh, a really low yeah. point uh, for our country. And and it and is. the way it was handled, I think, was a low point. You know, the hypocrisy was a low point for race relations. You know. Um. Absolutely. Because you know, and I, we all know what would have happened if they would have been black people. Give me a fucking break. Hell yeah! Give me a fucking yeah, break. They oh, yeah, they would have been
0: mowed down. Yeah. yeah. I've, al- I've always, like one thing, one facet of the Trump thing is that there's so much racial underpinning to everything that happened in the last four years. It, you know, Trump was a reaction to Obama and, you know, Hillary Clinton. People hate Hillary Clinton for so many reasons. I, I mean, uh, okay. Yeah. All right. But – but I always was struck by the fact that, and and you know, and how much the literal Ku Klux Klan embraced and and, and celebrated him. I thought this is the white Ubermensch mm-hmm. that they've picked, and he's a fucking fraud. yeah. That's the best they can. He can't done. do shit. Yeah. He can't get shit done. And it's the same thing with their with their big smart white person. Let Whitey handle it. Kind of revolution mm-hmm. they fucked it all yeah. up it was terrible yeah, i mean the people you know? they
2: have in mind don't exist you know they try to project yeah. this greatness on somebody like trump and you know really he's a he's a pretty good example of an asshole white man he's he's completely yeah. full of shit completely narcissistic thinks the world should just bow down to him and when you finally get him to that point where he's in the corner and on either side of him is the truth he loses his absolute shit and yeah. you know, his 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 followers and supporters are doing the same thing right now. It's it's you know, nothing sucks worse than having to fucking learn something man and yeah. <laughs> and it hurts now that's a full
0: quote if i ever it heard hurts. it hurts they're hurting yeah. right now
2: so bad because they were wrong and the party's over yeah, yeah. and their party's over too yeah. it's like
0: oh shit that was fun while it yeah lasted. we can't
2: even pretend we're right anymore it's it's, it's yeah it, man they get so mad yeah.
0: Well, now, growing up, like, as I imagine, it's pretty conservative. Mm-hmm. You're surrounded by pretty conservative people. And do you start becoming aware, like, oh, I got different – I got a lot of different attitudes than the, the people I'm yeah, surrounded felt by. Yeah, super
2: weird. Um, and, you know, for, for yeah. a long time there, um, when I was a kid, you know, I adopted some of their attitudes, and, and I and I played along, and, and uh, you know, because I was a little kid, and then, then I started, you know, realizing um, – mostly through music and and just through the people that I met, uh, when I was learning how to play and sing and write, um, I started realizing that, oh, these folks don't know what they're talking about, you know? And, and so the things that had always been a little different about me got much, much louder and much more obviously different. Um, and it was tough, but it's also, there's a, there's a sort of, um, you know I, i've got i got some friends who who uh, i've known for a long long time who who come from a small town in georgia and uh, um, one of, one of my buddies from there is, is just a, he's he's a homosexual and, and and he's um you know unapologetic about it and he always has been that way and and uh Mm -hmm. and i remember him talking about how you know he got to choose his family and and there's a there's a thing about when you come from those kind of places and you're different you know when you gravitate to people who are like you you bond in a way that that's that's really special because that's you know that's all you have that's what you have to do and it it also you know it makes you tough like um we were on the road with uh Dan Baird many years ago, Dan, who used to have the Georgia satellites, he'd keep your hands to yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, Dan, incredible musician and just a really great guy. And, you know, we were talking to Dan about the, about the B-52s and, uh, and Dan said, I want to tell you something right now, Fred Schneider will whoop your goddamn ass. And I said, really? He said, yeah. Could you imagine being Fred Schneider in the 1980s and playing frat parties in Athens, Georgia, and behaving like Fred Schneider at those frat parties? You Imagine how many rooms he had to fight his way out of. There is nobody tougher on this earth than Fred fucking Schneider. And I was like, all right, Dan. Okay. All right. I understand that.
0: (laughs) My ex-wife and I, one time when we were driving cross country, we stopped in Fort Smith, Arkansas to have dinner and our waiter was obviously gay and we just were both like we just thought how the to be gay in fort smith arkansas is a real particular kind of yeah
2: yeah no uh, kidding
0: because yeah it's just a hostile environment and you know and for kids that are you know there are kids that are like what are they what do you expect them to do and i guess what they expect them to do is squash themselves into some little box yeah yeah open
2: up a florist shop and come to jesus and and uh, yeah and i know a lot (laughs) i mean there there are people back home who are going to hear that and think i'm talking about them you know yeah uh, yeah. because there were a ton of those kids and i was lucky enough to where you know yeah i was i was Heteronormative and 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 white and and I looked like everybody else and I could blend in if I needed to. But also, when I got home, you know, my parents were cool and and their parents were cool and we sat around and played music yeah. and listened to records and read books and loved each other. And so I I really I you know I won the lottery. Yeah,
0: were there? I I mean I know you're you learned from your. Grandparents? Was it your paternal or maternal grandparents' music?
2: Paternal, uh, mostly. Now, now, but both sides played. My my grandfather on both sides played. But my dad's dad um, was a Pentecostal preacher and played in church, and they had like the big rock band church band they had a oh, bass really? and drums and yeah, electric yeah. instruments and all that um yeah and and so i mostly learned from him and then from my dad's younger brother uh, who played in cover bands and stuff like you know classic rock and country bands and things so th- those two mm-hmm. were my primary early influences um i remember i read a book a, a willie
0: nelson biography and they mentioned you know when they go through you know it's granular in the detail about some of his touring and there was a Isbel that he played with at some point who was maybe like a Cherokee cowboy or something Well there there were a couple I, session I, players
2: there's one drummer here in town who's an Isbel who uh is really really good and it, it might be the same person um but he's in he's yeah. in Nashville and uh An old jam, guy. I think is his name yeah old yeah guy. really 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 good musician um but you know we'd have to be cousins.
0: Yeah, yeah, I always oh, that just made me wonder if there were professional musicians, you know, well, like you said, you had an uncle. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. but
2: I didn't have any, like, like, Izzy Stradlin from Guns N' Roses, he's an Isbell, Jeff Isbell was his oh, real name. Really? Right. Yeah, and then oh, Al, wow. Al Bell from Stax was Albertus Isbell. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, of course, you know, he's not the same shade as me, uh, so right, it would have been right. harder for me to find out if I was related to him or not, but, <laughs> but I assume be... that I am, I assume that I am. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, now, when you get to teenage years, is the rebellion in you uh, externalized? Not
2: yet, no. Not not yeah. in my teenage years. It took me until my 20s to really start, you know, uh, letting off steam in an unhealthy way. Because um, I just I had a bunch of books and I had a guitar and... I got through my teen years that way, you know hanging out with with my family and my small group of friends, and then went to college in Memphis um University of Memphis used to be Memphis state and uh um you know, had a good experience there i I left when my scholarship ran out after my senior year, so I'm a few hours short of my degree yeah what well, what was the scholarship for uh, academic for academic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I got the like Pell Grant and the, and the federal loans and all that, yeah. all that stuff because my parents didn't make a lot of money. Um,
0: yeah, I'm one screen, I'm one screenplay and one uh, term paper short of my college degree, and then I just kind of realized <laughs> I'm not going to need that F film school. Yeah, you know, yeah. like like nobody, nobody's like, well, we'd love to hire you to. <laughs> pull cable on our commercial but we see you don't have a degree yeah
2: yeah yeah i wish i never i never would have come on you guys a show if i'd known you didn't finish (laughs) finish college this is bullshit well for
0: (laughs) me at the time it felt like because all my i think all my mother's siblings got all you know like uh, just a a hair's breadth away from graduating and they Mm. all kind of struggled and so i was like oh shit am i keeping up with the family tradition but evidently not i mean look at me now yeah i've got a podcast you got a
2: podcast and everything (laughs) and everything (laughs) and everything
0: So what 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 made you choose that school? Was it because of the the scholarship, or had you looked around at different places? Or
2: I didn't want to go anywhere where I knew anybody, um, so yeah. that ruled out like Alabama and Auburn and and. Uh, North, that ruled out all the in-state schools, Um mm-hmm. you know, and I applied to a bunch of different places and, and got good scholarships from pretty much all of them because I did well on the standardized tests and, and, you know, did my homework and all that kind of shit. Um, yeah. And I just I picked Memphis because um, one thing that that really uh, made me want to go there was that Jeff Buckley was there, you know, performing. uh every week and then like right oh, wow. after i got accepted he fucking drowned so i never saw him but yeah but you know there was just what music. an asshole yeah what up what an asshole there was there was music <laughs> uh, yeah there was music happening in in memphis and uh yeah you know and and i thought maybe i'll go there and be able to find other people like me and and that didn't necessarily pan out musically but i did uh have a good experience in school, and I, and I learned a lot. I learned a whole lot. Like, my first semester there, I, I you know, was not, I, I didn't have a lot of social skills at that point. So, I kind of ran my roommate off after a couple of days and, and wound up just keeping the whole uh, dorm room to myself. And What? what yeah. Were
0: you just, what? E- elaborate a little bit. I
2: don't remember why he didn't like me. I don't know if it was my weird old music or what, because this was like 1997, you yeah. know, and it wasn't really hip to like listen to old records. And and I see, you know, I was I was pretty weird for 1997 in Memphis, and uh, and so my roommate moved out. His name was Albert. I remember Albert, and he looked. Mm-hmm. I think he was a pre-law. Albert, you know, it just tucked his shirt in and stuff. So it it wasn't going to work out with us. Um, But he moved out and and I kept the room and I had my guitar amp in the room and my neighbor next door would play really, really loud music. So I would just, I would just play guitar really loud uh, because, you know, there's no home stereo that can compete with a Fender tube amplifier. (laughs) Uh, So he started turning his his music down. But uh, one day like you got to understand where I went to school in Alabama it was only white kids like lower middle class white kids that's it you know there was a few like real dirt poor white kids but that was all we had there yeah and i was in the dorm that housed the uh the academic scholars and the athletic scholars so you know we had the basketball team was on a floor over me and uh you know the football team was in that all and we were in memphis you know so there's a bunch of black kids in that yeah dorm and one day i was playing my guitar and this this kid starts banging on the door and i open it up and he's like seven feet tall you know um and uh just, I mean, it looked like, you know, Michael Wilson or, or Penny Hardaway or something like gigantic. And I was terrified because I thought I'm playing too loud. This guy's about to beat the shit out of me. And he said, is that you playing the guitar in there? I was like, yeah, that's me. I can turn it down. He's like, no, no. Can I bring my boys?" And I was like, well, yeah. So he went and got like four or five <laughs> other depends. guys. Yeah. I mean, I don't, what are you about to do? But he went and yeah. got like four or five other guys and they came and said in my little cramped dorm room and rolled blunts and put on like i remember they put on the first roots record and like three or four different records that were really popular at the time and i just played along to those records because i mean i'd already been doing some session work and stuff at that point that was easy for me but to them it was unbelievable that anybody could do that so I, i made some friends that way you know memphis is one of those towns where you know, one day can be so beautiful and so enlightening from a from a perspective of like racial unity and then the next day can be just hell from the nineteen fifties. Yeah. You know, you see yeah. it one like immediately. And so it was like that. Some days were beautiful like that and then some days I would walk past a sedan in nineteen ninety seven. Yeah. It was wild, but it was it was a good introduction for me to the rest of the world, that's for sure.
0: At what age do you start really seriously writing songs?
2: Um, probably about 19 or 20, I mm-hmm. guess. I'd been doing it before uh, just because I enjoyed it. But, but the first time I wrote anybody that, any songs that I thought anybody would hear, I was, I was 19 or 20. And uh, um, I was waiting tables uh, in Germantown. Across from this huge church that we called Six Flags Over Jesus, great big Baptist church in Memphis. So I was waiting tables. Of course, I wasn't any good at it. So I would get the Sunday and Wednesday shifts when all the people would come in from the Baptist <laughs> church and yeah. not tip for not shit. Not tip you know. at all. Oh, they did never tip. Oh. Worst, worst days to possibly work at a fucking Applebee's. Brunch, but shifts,
0: um, brunch shifts are punishment.
2: Yeah, it was was rough, and they were not nice, and it was – but there was one guy that was working there with me who uh, told me he wrote songs, and and we started talking about it, and he booked a show at a little coffee shop uh, downtown. And he asked if I wanted to come and open the show for him. And I said, well, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I think I can do that. And he said, you'll need like half an hour of your own material. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've got plenty of my own songs just lying around. I did not have any of my own songs oh, lying around. So I just went uh, home and stayed up all night. I remember I was drinking uh, Gatorade and Everclear and uh, <laughs> uh, typing on you were like smart. a 2E. Yeah, because yeah. I, I, w- uh, I had goals. <laughs> And I knew how to fucking achieve. <laughs> um, but uh, I was, you know, typing on like a fucking Apple C or some shit. And I stayed up all night and wrote 30 minutes worth of songs. And I went and played them the next day, opening my set for this guy. And then uh, when school was out and I went back home for the summer, uh, me and some of my friends got together and recorded those songs in a basement studio. And I took them into fame. Uh, the The studio there in Muscle Shoals that kind of started the whole Muscle Shoals sound thing. Uh-huh. Um, I took it in to, to those folks, Rick Hall and his son Rodney, and, you know, thinking that maybe they would want to record my band and make a record on us. And they didn't want to record the band, but they wanted to know who had written the songs, and it was me. So they signed me to a publishing deal you know, where I got a draw of like 800 bucks a month and I was able to quit waiting tables and just be a songwriter for a living. Wow. And you're like 20, 21 at this point? Yeah, I was 21. And then uh, just a couple months after that um, was when I joined the drive-by truckers and went on the road with them.
0: Wow. That all happened real fast. Yeah. Very,
2: very fast. Yeah. Very fast.
0: How how, That first night, how'd how'd it go? How'd How'd the crowd like the songs? It went very well.
2: You know, the place, what was it called? The Map Room, I think. And mm-hmm. it was this little coffee shop down There's a little shoe store there now. As a matter of fact, the shoes I have on right now, uh, I bought in that place. Because the last time I was in Memphis, I was walking around downtown, and I thought, I wonder where that place was. And I Googled it on my phone, and I was standing right in front of oh, that, wow. of the when I did that it was amazing so I was like I gotta go in and talk to this guy and it was a black owned shoe store and I went in and bought a pair of shoes and told the guy that you know I played my first songs in public at that place and I got a bunch of Grammys and shit he was super excited and it was, it was really neat um, did he
0: know who you were or?
2: no, yeah, hell no. Yeah, he don't know yeah. yeah it's not his kind of music I right, don't think right, but, yeah. uh, but he was super cool about it you know Um, but uh, it went well you know this was the same place they would have poetry readings uh every like Wednesday night and I went in one night and took my notebook and and signed up and got up and read a couple of my poems and and I was wearing like a polo shirt and khaki pants and like a braided belt you know like (laughs) 1998 you know yeah like you're going uh, to brunch I was going out somewhere you know so I I put on my nice, nice shirt my nice pants and I tucked my shirt in and and I sent out and read these poems, and about halfway through the first one, uh, the lady who ran the place came out from the back, and, and uh, uh, she said, hold on, now, you know people are reading poems that they wrote, not just poems that they like. And uh, and I said, well, have you heard this one before? Because I just wrote it yesterday. And she said, no, uh, continue, continue. And then after that, I was welcome. I was welcome at the hippie coffee shop after yeah. that, you know, because I certainly didn't look the part. I did not look like a creative person at all. I just yeah. looked like some redneck who decided to tuck a shirt in that night. But um, <laughs> But that place, I have fond memories of that place. It went well. And then I got home and got a job just writing songs. So that yeah. was great.
0: Now, when you were writing those songs, when you get that first contract to write songs, I mean, they're hiring you because they think these songs are songs that will sell. How much of that pressure, you know, just the balance of expression versus commerce, is is a, are you aware of right away?
2: You know, I'm aware of it, but I've always made it a point to try to ignore it. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, like I saw yesterday or day before yesterday where like the Billboard uh, Hot, 100 songwriters you know they do like they do the hot 100 singles and the hot 100 albums and the hot 100 artists and the hot 100 songwriters and i was number 13 this week on their hot 100 songwriters and it was like bieber and you know phineas uh billy eilish's brother and and uh, all these people that are like actual popular musicians And uh, and the reason I was there is because this guy Morgan Wallen just put out a country record that has one of my songs on it. And the song is called Cover Me Up. And I put it on Southeastern. I wrote it when I got sober years ago, you know, um, with no inclination whatsoever whatsoever. Of trying to make a hit song, I just that yeah. song is the most visceral expression of what my life was like and and what kind of changes I was going through and you know my love for my wife and just it was completely from the heart. There's no way that song would ever be a hit, and yeah. now all these years later, um, you know that song's on a record that sold a whole bunch of copies and yeah, and I'm a popular songwriter this
0: week. Did that song did that was that song a single off the album and did it chart? It was
2: you know, he did, I don't think they released it as a single yet. Um, yeah. You know, it might be a follow up, but, but he recorded that song before he put his debut album out. And it blew up online, like on like oh. TikTok and his YouTube video of it. All this was like the thing that, the first thing that he did that was a real success uh, popularity wise. And it was him covering that song. Yeah. And of course a bunch of a bunch of purists got angry about it, you know, and and the whole time I'm over here going, This is a good thing for me, you guys. I didn't have to do anything. I already yeah, wrote yeah. this. All I gotta do is go to the mailbox. Y'all be everybody be cool, you know. Yeah. Let the kids sing my song, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But uh but yeah, it was really interesting. And I honestly I feel like, you know, for me, and there's a lot of luck that comes with this too. I'm a very, very fortunate person, uh, in a whole lot of ways. But what has served me best is is just you know getting as far into the process as possible, and writing as honestly and openly, and and uh, uh, you know working as hard to make everything honest and true and natural. You know that's wound up serving me really well as far as you know success commercial success goes it just yeah that's what people want from me and that's what i want to do and 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 as long as i don't fight it and just just do my very best to be honest in the songs they'll find their way to people eventually even if it takes a decade like this one has
0: yeah how much of like your own personal catharsis is your writing process like are you uh like, does it just a kind of a complicated idea come to you of like a relationship thing or and then how much are you trying to kind of like, I need to figure this thing out in my life so I think I'm going to write a song about it?
2: the the idea, the initial idea is is usually not complicated and and I, I try for that. Like I try to keep the original idea simple because I feel like if I tell the story right and if I create the characters right, then they will behave in complex ways. Um you know, like if you 're writing a book you, you you know usually people who who write great novels they don 't know how it 's going to end when they start yeah. it, you know, and they don 't start out with a story they start out with with people and and with relationships and with dynamics yeah um and or even a
0: place you know, yeah just, just, just a place, place. just yeah, a room
2: yeah. and and if you 're open and and you're working hard and you stay focused, then the stories will make themselves obvious to you um and that's that's how it's always worked best for me. I start out I start out with something that sounds nice. Usually, you know, I'll sit and yeah. sing something over and over, and I think that sounds nice, and maybe that has some meaning in it, you know. And then I just start working.
0: Do words or music come first uh, in any regular way, or is it both?
2: It's both. You know. Uh, yeah. You know, usually a piece of music will come first. If I sit down with the intention of writing a song, um I'll usually just start playing first, and then when I get to something that sounds cool, I'll repeat it and then I'll start writing a lyric. but um, yeah, but yeah, it's 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 not really this kind of thing where they come first, you know it's 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 kind of like does your setting come first before your dialogue? you know, yeah, well, they yeah. they feed each other, you know, yeah,
0: well, now you go from you are uh, get on a rocket ship from from college and waiting tables to within like a year being on with a, you know, a serious touring band. A real band. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and what is that like? And whenever I hear about a young person getting successful in show business, I just get scared for them. You know, it's like that Amanda, that I can't remember her last name, that read the poem at the inauguration – She's so amazing. And I just felt there's part of me. that feels like, oh, no, she's getting all this attention now. Yeah, protect her. And I know that's a good thing. But, oh, there's so much about that that's destructive. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I wonder, you know, what that was like. Yeah, I think about and I mean In between the Tonight Show and the and the TBS show we did A tour which was like maybe three Months so I got a taste of what That was like and a nice taste it was like It wasn't we weren't in a van most you know We were traveling nice but I just felt like if I do this I'm going to be 350 Pounds and the uh, And just basically you know 80% liquor yeah, uh, yeah. You know I just couldn't T- imagine what it would be like
2: yeah it was rough um but I was just really young, you know, so the physical the physical toll, I mean, I was pretty much made out of rubber at that point. It, it was really difficult to hurt me. If I if I went out in that fashion nowadays, I would die after about three or four days. You know? yeah. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I would just lay yeah. down in the middle of a fucking Stucky's parking lot and, and cease to exist. Yeah, uh, yeah, But at that point, it's like, yeah, we can ride eight hours and, you know, do a couple bumps and drink a half a fucking fifth of whiskey and get on stage. That'll be great. Great. Yeah, you know, let's do that 300 times next year. Um is it fun when it starts or does it does the kind of the the,
0: the drudgery of it get to you right away?
2: You no, know, it was fun. It was super fun. Yeah. And cuz I'd never been anywhere. I'd been to Philadelphia. Um that was the only you know, northern like anywhere north of the Mason Dixon line that I had ever been. I'd never been on a plane. My first flight wow. was from Atlanta to Amsterdam on tour. Wow. You know, I was I never been,
0: that, Atlanta to Amsterdam, yeah, that's a trip. Too. That was
2: a trip. And then you get there and you're in <laughs> and Amsterdam. It's Amsterdam. Yeah, oh yeah. no. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I it was it was wild, you know, and uh, and yeah, it took a toll on me. Um but uh, it took a good 15 years for me to really see the cost of that and, and yeah. you know, what that had done. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm grateful for all of it. I mean, there are things now that I would wonder about if I hadn't already done them, you know, at least three times. Um and at this point in my life, I don't have to wonder what any of that stuff is like, you know. <laughs> I'm all right just hanging out at home on a Saturday because I know yeah, what yeah. all that other shit feels like.
0: Right, right. And I won't, I will ask for the particulars. You save that for the book. Oh yeah, you make no, some money off. Well, those, I, yeah. I mean,
2: it was, it was a blast. Everybody in the yeah. band was older than me, you know, by like almost a generation. Like they, they really, yeah, wow. they were all, you know, uh, a good. I guess fifteen to eighteen years older than me. Um, but I, I'm going
0: to go on a hunch and say that you were you, you per, liked being around older people.
2: I did, I did, and and musically, musically, I fit in well with them. Socially, I did not necessarily fit in well with older folks because I was a I was a kid, and I was also, you know, a kid from a I, I was a hayseed rolling around out, you yeah. know. But it felt like I was in a gang, you know, and it it felt like, uh, I mean, there were just there were people coming to the shows and watching us play music. And that was my job. And I was on the road and, you know, wearing fucking Pearl Snap T-shirts and growing my hair out long (laughs) and drinking whiskey. And and my amp was so loud. It was great. You know, it was it was great.
0: Do you get to have any kind of like home life or are you just living there?
2: At right. that point, I, yeah, I didn't have a home life really. Yeah, either. no. Where
0: were, where would you where were you staying, or would you just stay at your folks when you were not touring?
2: Well, I, I had for a while there. I was staying at this house that was, you know, a lot a lot of. I know southern towns have these. I'm sure a lot of towns have them, but you know, a house where like there's a couple of cool people in town that, that have a big place and the, the rock and roll kids come and stay there. I know there yeah. was one in, in Knoxville where like Johnny Knoxville and all those kids would crash, you know, and, yeah. and there was one in Muscle Shoals where we would all crash. And that's where I met Patterson and, you know, I'd sleep on the couch at this house and, uh, Fellow Dick Cooper, who was who was uh, managing the band at that time, and then his roommate Scott Boyer, who uh, had been in a band called Cowboy in the seventies, part of the Make in Georgia um, scene down there, and and you know he played in Greg Allman's band, part of the Capricorn mm-hmm. Records family. Um, okay, so they they were living in that house, both older single guys, and and. Uh, you know we just crashed there so i stayed there and 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 when i got back from college that's where i stayed because i didn't want to go deal with anybody's rules and that's how i met patterson and that's where i was staying for the first year or so when i was with the band and then yeah you know me and shauna got a place and 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 moved in together
0: yeah you got married along in that i did i got married
2: and then she wound up in the band and and then we got a divorce you know on a bus in front of our only friends it was it oh. was amazing <laughs> it wait was what amazing. do you mean
0: you got a divorce Are you just you had the fight that led to the divorce or you actually signed the
2: papers well we never went home you know we we had all the fights in front of everybody um yeah and it was awful and, th- and they were all so sad for us and we were so angry at each other and and or I was angry. I, you know she she was probably angry too, but uh, yeah. But she was a bit more grown than I was at that point in time, and and you know it was it was a hard hard time. Um, yeah. And you would have thought it would have been enough to get me to to clean my act up, but it took quite a few years after that. You know, but I had to I had to bounce on the bottom for a while.
0: Yeah, yeah. Was the. Uh... Substance abuse was that like probably the main cause of the friction between you and your first wife?
2: Probably. Well, I mean, you know, the things that caused the substance abuse were the uh, main cause of friction. Um, I gotcha. Uh, but the substance abuse certainly exacerbated all those issues. I mean, I just had a bunch of shit that I hadn't even, I hadn't even looked in those rooms yet, much less started to arrange the furniture. Yeah. You know, and
0: uh, were you? Did do you have depression? Do you suffer from depression? No, no, no. I
2: don't. Not not in any kind of clinical sense. Um, But I definitely was, you know, I I had a lot of the addict uh, indicators, uh, you know, just because I obsessed over things. And and, um, like I had with playing the guitar, I, I took the same sort of obsession to drinking as I did to learning to play the guitar. And I was Determined to be the best fucking competitive drinker. Uh, yeah, whatever that means. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so it was like everything I did, I did as hard as I possibly could. And yeah, you know, I was not a good husband uh, for anybody. Um, I shouldn't have got married, you know. Um, yeah. I, sh- I should have just not gotten married. But also I had a lot of like religious baggage from growing up back home and and she helped me she was there for me when i was you know od'ing or just dangerously getting close to the edge of of drinking myself to death and and uh, i felt like i owed it to her i thought she wanted to get married and i thought you know this is the right thing to do you know um yeah and it was not you know it was, was that was where some of that raisin had served me wrong
0: is the end of drive-by truckers when you decide to go into rehab or recovery? Or?
2: No, I kept I kept rocking for a while after that. Yeah, no, I was far far stupider than even we could assume <laughs> somebody would be. So you uh, broke
0: up on your own, but still kept all the same bad patterns.
2: I did well, and you know, I, I, they they told me to leave the band. Like they they suggested that I take a leave of absence and get my shit together, and. uh you know, and and come back later was the original thing and I was like, Well, you guys can't go out and fucking tour as this band if I'm not with you and so they fired me, which is what I would have done, you know. Yeah. Um,
0: was it affecting the playing or was it just affecting living with you?
2: I'm sure it was affecting the playing. I didn't think it was. I thought I was nailing it every night, but I can go back and watch the videos now and I was definitely not nailing it every night, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that sounds like a fun video viewing party. Hey everybody, let's watch me not.
2: Let's watch me underperform. I've I've been in situations where I've had to watch it with other people around, and that's not a yeah. whole lot of fun. But it, there's definitely something that was like a replacement show about it, you know. Um, and that was one of the bands that we sort of <laughs> idolized. That's you wind up being a really big replacements fan if you're in a band and you got I substance you abuse issues, because yeah. you're like these guys did it. See, these yeah. guys did it. You know, not to mention they're puking in their hands and throwing it on the fucking ceiling. Of the recording studio, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, all that fun stuff. Yeah, all the fun. You just take the you just take the good parts, and yeah. And so I'm, I think there's a lot of audience members that had a great time, whether I was nailing it or not. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, for a few years after that, with my own band and my own personal life, you know, I was still I was still bouncing on the bottom pretty hard for quite a while. It wasn't until I I really when I started hanging out with Amanda, who's my wife now, um. I realized that she wasn't going to put up with that, and uh, and I thought, well, then I've got to do something because I can't lose this woman, you know. Um, yeah. In hindsight, even that was not the right thing to do, but it worked, and we've made it work, and I. I Ex- have- Explain why that wasn't the right thing. Well, because it's not her fucking responsibility to save my life, you know. And basically what I did was I was like, I'm going to reward you for, for being a good person with boundaries and for being an adult. I'm going to reward you by putting this responsibility on you forever. You know, let me let me uh, let me beg you uh, to to start a life with me now that you see that I'm broken, you know, Um had I had uh, any kind of real uh, adult boundaries at that point and understood the dynamics between men and women, I I, I don't think I would have uh, love bombed her in the way that I did. But yeah. uh, lucky for both of us, I was given some opportunities to learn and to grow after that. And, and yeah. so it's, it's you know, today we're great. Yesterday we were great. Tomorrow we'll probably be great. Um But, yeah, it was not fair. What I did initially was not fair. And then I wrote a bunch of songs about it. And they became the most popular songs of my career. and, And my career took off. And we're up on stage and I'm singing these songs, you know, and people are cheering and holding up their fucking whiskey glasses. And she's up there with me remembering, you know, the real the real truth of what happened. And and, uh, you know, no matter how good a songwriter you are, you're never going to write as well as the memory of the person who had to put up with you that night. Right. Right.
0: So does she just stand there while you're singing these heartfelt songs, rolling her eyes? like?
2: (laughs) She's not, uh, (laughs) you know, she's she's not that kind of person. She just stood there and she smiled and she played but on the inside she was certainly rolling something was yeah. rolling um uh yeah and and, and so it is kind of like that it's like it took me a long time to realize uh, just what i had asked of her yeah. and, and how unfair that was but when i did realize that it it helped a relationship a whole lot you know from, go, from
0: from basically cleaning yourself up, whatever you want to call it, and to have that turn into, as you say, the most success that you've experienced, I mean, what did that do to you? Like, what did that tell you? Like, did you think like, oh, I should have gotten smart earlier or –
2: Not really. Like, I I felt like people were rooting for me, you know, and it was a very positive thing all the way around. Like, it made me feel great because I thought these people want me to survive. You know, I think sometimes some members of the audience, uh, they learn vicariously through artists, you know, and I think that's part of the reason why. Uh, drug abuse alcoholism and and hard living gets romanticized i think we want to know what you know keith richards has learned from being keith richards like please write a song and tell me what it's like to be that much of a fucking disaster um and to do that you have to survive it so i felt like there was an accountability there you know and the more i talked about it the more open i was about it and the more i wrote about it the more i felt like you know I had another reason not to not to fuck up again. Um Yeah. And it's still that way. And there there's there's always a rub, you know, there you weigh the options and you think, "Well, am I am I capitalizing on my own mistakes or you know, am I somehow um um uh, uh manipulating these people and you know, am I am yeah. I am I making money off being an asshole?" Uh you know? Yeah,
0: that's what I was going to say, am I like am I turning my fuck-ups into content and am I you know did you ever worry about running out of fuck up? yeah, yeah right
2: know? right well there's a big transition that's so hard for songwriters to make sometimes and you know Dylan did it the opposite he started out writing about the world and then wound up honing in on writing about Bob Dylan. But he's he's the exception to all of our songwriter rules. Um, yeah. Everybody else, you know, they started out writing about themselves. And then at some point they either got their shit together or they decided that this is who I'm going to be. And they yeah. started writing about broader subjects. And that's a hard one, because to write about big, broad things without being vague uh, is is a challenge. You know, you have to you have to really stay aware and continue to pay attention to the kind of people you knew before you were a famous singer. Yeah.
0: Now, when you had a child, uh, does that in any way affect the worry about the, about your process or that, you know, because being an artist too can be a very consuming thing. I mean, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're exploring yourself. You're, putting yourself through paces you're you know it's all about you and this little factory of you does having a child is there any sort of like "Uh uh-oh is this going to hurt the songwriting
2: uh no i I thought is the songwriting gonna hurt her Ah. you know um because i know myself pretty well at this point and i know that the songwriting's gonna happen you know, and I really think it's always going to be the best I can possibly do. I don't ever think there'll be a time when I can devote part of that energy to anything else. So it's about navigating. You know, I got better at this. The switch became faster, you know, switching between being an artist and being uh, a father or being a regular person. You know, that that on and off switch, I got a lot quicker with it, you know, yeah, uh, um, and I think that was the challenge for me, was figuring out, you know, how can I just be her dad? And then when I need to be an artist, how can I just be an artist? And that's an ongoing thing. That's yeah. something I always work on. But I think as long as you're trying to stay aware of it, it's, it's very possible to, to pull both of those things off. Um, you know, Springsteen's kids fucking love him. like Bruce's son he looks just like Bruce and he fucking loves Bruce and Bruce is a great dad and he's such a sweet kid and I'm like okay all right, we can do this it's possible
0: yeah yeah yeah. when you look forward in your life is it just kind of building on the progress that you've made and continuing to write albums and songs or is there some other thing that you're you know that you kind of are looking for a, a, a bigger you know when you look down the road what do you see I guess
2: I don't have these specific goals anymore that are like, you know, play on this show or win this award or whatever. Um, But I do have goals. And and the way I see it is kind of like when I'm writing a song, you know, and I'm in that editing phase. and, And, you know, I want first and foremost to be able to enjoy and be satisfied with the editing phase of my life. And I think that's you know i'm i'm my happiest and my most productive i'm just the the best version of myself when i'm satisfied with the process um and so I think the older I get, the more I try to live in the moment. And it's part of my recovery and it's part of my philosophy and it's part of my music and it's part of my parenting. And, you know, just try to show up and just really clock in and be here every single day. And then as I get older, I, I think I want to get better at editing, you know, the things that I believe and and, and the things that I'm, I'm uh, passionate about and. You know, I was thinking about this and about about the questions that you that you ask, asking about what I was going to say, and especially in the last year, I think I've learned that, you know, there's nothing more worthy of pride than being able to let go of something that you believed to be true and reach out to learn something new, you know? Have mm-hmm. to actually shift your perspective and think, I was wrong yeah. for all this time, and you know, I actually get excited about that. And I know that's weird because, man, it is not encouraged in America. It, it's, you know, you're supposed to stand firm in your beliefs and, and and defend your beliefs. and Use that First Amendment. And if that don't work, use the second one, you know. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But it's it, to me, it's so rewarding to, like, see the light, yep. you know, and figure out, oh, man, I've been wrong. Like, I remember when the Dixie Chicks thing happened, you know. Thinking, well, they 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 got that way because they're they're too different from their audience. You know, uh, they, personally, they have this one set of beliefs, and their audience has another. And I thought that for a long time. And then we were playing the Roundhouse in London, that same venue where that happened, where Natalie said what she said. And yeah. I was walking around the the venue before the show, and I thought, no, 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 that happened because they were women. Mm -hmm. and then i started looking up some things that other people other country singers had said and i was like oh yeah that's that's because they were women that's what getting dixie checked means you know (laughs) yeah yeah and and those moments to me like i feel so alive when i realize oh i've been wrong for all Mm -hmm. these years isn't it beautiful to have been wrong (laughs) you know and not be wrong anymore it's the
0: the places that i really uh that I really notice it is like when my kids got to an age where they would point out something to me that would make me question what I did and I would have to say oh honey I'm sorry I was wrong about that or like (laughs) you know like and just the feeling like I I I feel it as a kid who didn't feel like he ever got apologized to yeah or ever got or was just kind of expect you know you you come along and you shut up and you put up with it and and cuz mm-hmm. i said so that's why mm-hmm. whereas if you if you actually think about no this kid deserves the best me he doesn't deserve yeah. the asshole me just cuz i can get away with it yeah. he deserves the best me or she deserves the best me as i can get and that it, it like you said it doesn't feel good but it's like, as I understood, it, as I always understood it, the the way to build muscle is that you stress the muscle; it breaks it down, it creates scar tissue, and then the next time you break up that scar tissue, right, and it it's makes a bigger, painful, yeah. But it makes it's it's growth, and it's the same thing. It's the same thing in you know in in your relationships with your significant mm. others, but also you know with everybody. But still, the ability to say I'm sorry, I'm fucked up, and then and then you also get to feel good about the fact, like, well, look at me, moving on. Yeah, I'm a big, yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big, yeah. I'm a big man today. Yeah. I'm doing what I'm spo- I'm doing what you're supposed to be doing here, which is learning yeah. and progressing. You know.
2: And then the things that you know are true, like the 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 the, the rock yeah. that you hold on to gets a lot more solid because you're like no I've tested this motherfucker. Yeah. I have I have the ability. Heat. Yes, I have yeah. the ability to test my own beliefs. So I know that that's right. And you yeah. don't have to feel this kind of like like I think so many people in America have this have this issue right now and it it has been uh it's been it's been taken advantage of, you know, by by a shifty Politicians and businessmen who who see okay these people are a little unstable you know, so I can use this to my advantage like uh, America's not getting the mental health treatment that they need we all know that and th- and then you're like, oh I bet I could get this group of people to vote for me these people who are on a subreddit talking about how there's there's kids being sold out of the basement of a pizza shop I bet I could get them maybe I could convince them that i'm I'm the person who's going to fix all this you know yeah and then they they capitalize on it, and it's because those people are drifting, you know. And this isn't – I'm not making excuses for them. I mean, yeah. crazy, crazy or not, you're still responsible for your own actions. However, you know, when you when you have that foundation that's built on you questioning it, over and over, all the time, and testing every little spot to make sure that it's just as tight as a string, you know. Then you know. No, I believe that this is wrong. I believe that you're trying to take advantage of me, and I can't fool you anymore. Yeah. And it comes from being big enough to apologize and to question your own beliefs and and know when you're wrong.
0: Yeah. What do you want people to take away from your story and your work and your life? Like what, what do you, what's kind of like, what do you hope is the main moral of your story?
2: Mm, Um, not only that it's possible to change, but that it's fun, you know, (laughs) that you can, you can be more satisfied by trying to grow and and be a good person. Um, it's worth it. It's worth the work. That's it for me. It's worth the work.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a pretty good one. Hmm. I might I might
2: cross-stitch that yeah please and, and when <laughs> I please when, do on a hat
0: <laughs> <When> I, <laughs> I was going to say when I get a mantelpiece I'll put it above it
2: put it uh, on top of a hat so only Conan can read it <laughs>
0: <laughs> well Jason thank you so much for taking the time and talking to me I really appreciate it
2: thank you Andy I enjoyed talking with you
0: love to you and yours and, uh, and thanks again and thanks to all of you out there for listening and uh, we will be back at you next week